as we move into the fall, we're going to spend the next three weeks on prayer. And what we're not going to do is this. We're not going to be talking about for the next three weeks how to pray. We're actually going to be looking at why we pray what we pray. Because I'm firmly convicted that if we don't understand why we pray the way we do and why we pray the certain things that we pray, it's irrelevant to understand how to pray. So for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at why do we pray the things that we do. And what we're going to be using as our model and as our guide is the Lord's Prayer. Because it's in the Lord's Prayer that Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, gives us the ultimate model for prayer and what we've already recited this morning in the Lord's Prayer. And what we're going to do is we're going to take three sections of the Lord's Prayer, one each week, and seek to understand the biblical why, the biblical understanding behind what Jesus was teaching his disciples and ultimately us how to pray. So for this morning, we're going to be looking at the phrase, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why did Jesus include that in the model prayer? What was so significant about the people of God praying, Thy kingdom come? What does it mean? So what we're going to do this morning is we're actually going to look at Luke chapter 6, verses 20 through 24, through 26, excuse me. And then Luke chapter 6, we'll skip down to verse 46 through 49 to help us do three things this morning we're going to understand what is this kingdom that jesus talks about to pray thy kingdom come we need to understand what the kingdom is we need to understand what we're actually saying secondly when we pray thy kingdom come and then thirdly we need to understand where the power and the confidence comes from for you to sit and shout out to god thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let's look together at Luke chapter 6, verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and they revile you, And spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. And woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. And woe to you who laugh now, For you shall mourn and weep, and woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. And skipping down to verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep, laid the foundation on the rock, And when a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. The one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of the house 
was great. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen. So what is the kingdom of God? Let's just jump right into it. We don't have kings. We don't have a kingdom here. The the idea of kings and kingdoms and queens and princes and princesses is either something that is a figment of our imagination from childhood fairy tales growing up as a kid or something that we see on television once in a blue moon during a royal wedding. But we need to understand when Jesus says to us in the Lord's Prayer, pray this way, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it begs the question, what in the world is the kingdom of God? But before we do that briefly this morning, I actually want us to look at what Jesus says the kingdom of God is not. Actually, skipping down to verse 24 through 26, Jesus unpacks for us what the kingdom of God is not. Because you see, what Jesus wants to do here in verses 20 through 23 and then 24 through 26 is he's pitting up against each other two operating systems, two ways of thinking. What he's doing in verses 20 through 23 is he's painting a picture of what the kingdom of God is like. But then in 24 through 26, he's painting a picture of what the kingdom of this world is like. So what does Jesus say is the kingdom of this world? What is this operating system in which human nature in its default mode operates with? Jesus here in verses 24 through 26 pronounces several woes upon the people that are living according to the kingdom of this world. Well, it begs the question, what is a woe? A woe is simply Jesus saying, alas, I feel sorry for you. You could almost translate the woe here in Luke chapter 6, the woes that he pronounces upon uh, the people that he's talking to. It's as if Jesus is saying, how terribly sorry I feel for you. And what is Jesus saying here? Why does Jesus feel so sorry for this certain group of people? He says first to them, he says, woe to you who are rich, for you received your consolation. Now, what Jesus is not saying here is he's not saying, oh, I feel sorry for you who have been successful in life and made a lot of money. That's not what he's saying here. What he is saying is he's pronouncing woes upon people that have found their ultimate priority and their ultimate hope in these things. What Jesus is describing here is not necessarily current conditions physically, but he's, but he's describing current conditions of the heart. What he's saying is, woe to you who have found your ultimate hope, your ultimate purpose, your ultimate rest in the wealth of this world. And what does he say? He says, you've received your consolation. What he's saying is you've settled. You have settled. You have given up on the riches and the wealth of the kingdom of God, and you have settled for the riches and the wealth that this world has to provide. And what Jesus does is he looks down upon us and he says, Alas, how sorry I feel for you, for how you've settled. And then he goes on, woe to you for those that are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you, how sorry I feel for you who have been satisfied by the things of this world to to try to find your hope and your contentment and your peace and your comfort. Because one day you'll see, you'll eventually be hungry for more. It will never last. 
Woe to you who laugh now. The word laugh here in the Greek literally means to gloat. It doesn't mean woe to you who are happy. Woe to you who gloat. Woe to you who walk around this life and walk around this world with puffed out chest is saying and almost boasting and bragging and gloating on who you are and what you've achieved and what you've accumulated because he says one day you won't be laughing if that's where you found your comfort and where you found your hope. Jesus is talking to a people that have settled, settled for the riches of this world, settled for the food of this world, settled for uh, the laughter of this world. And Jesus says, how terribly sorry I feel for you who live according to the principles and the customs and the traditions and the values of the kingdom of God. And what he's doing here in Luke chapter 6 is he's contrasting these two kingdoms. He's contrasting the two sources of hope. If I was to boil it down in the most simplest form, there is ultimately at the end of the day two places in which humanity finds their hope. And it's either in the kingdom of this world or in the kingdom of God. And he looks to those who find their hope in the kingdom of this world and he says, Alas, woe, how terribly sad and sorry, how terrible for you. But then he moves on. And against the, against the woes of those that have found their hope and their comfort in the kingdom of this world, in verses 20 through 23, he talks about to those who have found their hope and their comfort in the things of God, in the kingdom of God. And he says in verse 20, blessed are the poor for yours is the kingdom of God. But, but similar to the woes that Jesus pronounces, we need to read this in the context of Matthew chapter 5. That Jesus here is not necessarily talking about physical conditions, but spiritual conditions. Because remember in Matthew Matthew chapter 5, where we also see a similar passage, what does Jesus also say? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who weep. What Jesus is describing here is a spiritual condition of the soul. What he's saying is, for those that are middle class in spirit, that actually think that they offer God something at the throne room of heaven, you will never see the kingdom of God. But it is the person who recognizes that they are spiritually bankrupt. It is the person who recognizes that they are spiritually poor. the person who recognizes that they are hungry for something more than this world has to offer, those, those people will see the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who weep. Weep over what? Blessed are those who weep and grieve over their sin. When they look at their spiritual condition, they look at their brokenness, they look at their spiritual bankruptcy, they look at their sin, they look at their inability to please God and satisfy the justice and the demands of God, and they plead before the Father and they say, I have nothing to offer except a broken and contrite heart. David says that, O Lord, you will never despise you see, this is what it means to experience experience the blessing of the kingdom. When we as Christians pray, thy kingdom come, we are praying a kingdom in which Jesus says can be yours, but it can only be yours once you admit your brokenness, your bankruptcy, your grief over your sin. It's people that recognize that this kingdom is not rightfully mine. But through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, the coming kingdom can be mine. 
So we first have to understand when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we need to understand what the kingdom is not and what the kingdom is. Second point, little application for us this morning. So when we do pray thy kingdom come, what are we actually saying then? Against the backdrop of understanding what the kingdom of God is and is not, what are three things? I want you to write these down or remember them. Three things that we are saying when we pray thy kingdom come. Or we pray something like, God, I want your will to be done in my life. God, I want you to reign supreme in my life. I want you to be sovereign over all. Three things that we are saying when we pray thy kingdom come. The first thing is this. What we are acknowledging by praying thy kingdom come is we are saying, God, I want your kingdom to expand to the ends of the earth. I want more and more people to know and hear about the life-saving message of Jesus Christ. When you pray, thy kingdom come, you are praying that you are discontent with the reach of the gospel, that you will not stop until the gospel reaches the ends of the earth, until my neighbors and my family and my co-workers and every single person on the face of this earth hears the good news that God saves sinners through the person and work of Jesus Christ. When we pray thy kingdom come, we are saying I want more and more people to know and hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. The second thing that we're doing when we pray thy kingdom come, what we're saying is let your kingdom go deeper within me. We're saying, God, I want your kingdom to change me. I don't want the kingdom of God to be some far-off thing, some nebulous, ambiguous thing that I can only dream of. I want the kingdom of God to be made real in my life. The verses that we read in verse 46, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? The, the, the phrase Lord, Lord here was the uh, Semitic way of expressing emotion and passion. It's as Jesus is saying, you stand in church, you sing the songs, you recite the creeds, you recite the prayers, you say Lord, Lord with your lips, but the kingdom of God is not made a reality in your life. So when we say thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are saying and acknowledging that I want this far off, distant, ethereal, nebulous, ambiguous thing called the kingdom of heaven to grow deeper within me. I want to sense its roots. I want my family to reflect the kingdom of God and my kids to reflect the kingdom of God and my marriage to reflect the kingdom of God and my career. I want my purposes and my career goals and my life's purpose and mission to not be according to the kingdom of this world, but I want my purposes and my family and my career and my goals to be according to the kingdom of God. May your kingdom go deeper in me. And then lastly, third, when we pray the kingdom of God, it is a way of preaching to the heart. You see, we are not only praying, but we're preaching. This is what we're saying. We are saying, I know that life is hard. And my life is full of disappointments. And my life is full of unmet expectations. And my life is full of wrongs and injustices. My, my life is full of uh, emotional and physical scars. My life is full of shame and guilt and sin and death and disappointments. But when we pray thy kingdom come, we are preaching to our heart and our soul to be reminded of this. O oh Lord, haste the day 
and my faith shall be sight. And the clouds be rolled back like a scroll, and the trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. You see, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we are reminding our weary, broken, worn out, disappointed soul that the best is yet to come. We're praying for a future hope. That the kingdom of God that is mine, that one day it is coming in full and that I will be a part of it and that I will experience it with all of its blessings and all of its favors on my worst day. Lord, keep me, keep me in the joy and the hope and the comfort that one day your kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. And lastly, Where in the world does this power come from? How do we have the confidence to pray a prayer, thy kingdom come? It is rather audacious and it is rather a confident and bold plea that we are making to God the Father. And there's only one reason in which we have the boldness and the confidence to go before the God of the universe and pray, thy kingdom come. And it's because of what Jesus has done for us. It's what Jesus has done for you and me. You see, the story of Jesus Christ is this. Jesus left the kingdom of God. He left the throne room of heaven and he did what? He lost his riches. He lost his wealth. And the Bible tells us that he became poor so that we might have the wealth of heaven. Jesus lost the favor of God so that we forever would have the favor of God. Jesus took on the woes of this world so that we forever would experience the blessings and favor of God. And there are some here this morning that have never experienced that favor. And there are some here this morning that have never experienced the smile and the blessing of God. And Jesus has two messages for you. Stop running. On the one hand, you have run your entire life, finding your comfort and your hope in the kingdom of this world. And the only message Jesus has for you this morning is, woe to you, woe to you. But on the other hand, he says, I've taken that woe. I've taken the condemnation, I've taken your pain, I've taken your sin, and I've taken your guilt so that you can forever live in the presence of the kingdom of God, forever experiencing the rich blessing of God the Father in the person of Jesus Christ. So would you no longer run to the kingdom of this world, but may you run to the kingdom of God. You might be here and you've been a Christian for 30 years, but to you life hasn't been fair. And life has been hard. And right now you might even be experiencing the the torment and the pain and the brokenness of life. And you not only say, I need a vacation, I need a vacation from life. And the Lord's Prayer teaches us, look no further. Thy kingdom come. God, thy kingdom come in my life. May it be done on earth as it is in heaven. I have the privilege of, as pastor, officiating many weddings. And occasionally, not too occasionally, thankfully, people actually come forward and they say they want to write their own vows. And there's nothing wrong with writing your own vows. I've I've heard good ones and I've heard bad ones. I'm always skeptical when we take the ancient vows and we say they're not good enough. But once in a while, people rise to the occasion, they write some pretty good vows. But one time I heard a couple say this, 
very simply, they stood and they looked at each other and they said, I will never divorce you. And I thought, well, isn't that basically the same as the ancient vows that say, uh, I will never leave you till death do us apart? But then I thought, you know what? Jesus takes all of those vows as the great bridegroom, and he looks at us as the bride, and not only does he say, I will never divorce you, but Jesus takes it a step further, and he looks at you, and he might even be looking at you for the first time this morning, and he says this, for those that are in me, even death will not do us apart for those that are found beneath the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus says that for those that become a child of God through believing in Jesus Christ, he says nothing, nothing, nothing will ever separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And so when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we are praying in the future hope with a boldness and confidence that regardless of what this life brings me, I know my king's kingdom is coming. And I'm a part of that kingdom because of Jesus Christ. May we through this series and then throughout this fall and throughout this year, I pray that through prayer, our church will rediscover or may even discover for the first time the joy and the comfort and the hope of what it means to live in light of the coming kingdom, the kingdom that belongs to you for those that trust in Jesus alone.